This episode of The Body Serve is brought to you by Health IQ, an insurance agency that helps health conscious people like runners, vegans, weightlifters, and you guessed it, tennis players, get lower rates on life insurance. Go to healthiq.com slash bodyserve or mention the promo code bodyserve when speaking with an agent to support the show and see if you qualify. But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hi everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. Uh, this is episode 112. Does that remind you of anything? Peaches and cream? Yeah, mm. yes. And they were also the guys who were doing that little like background singing when Puff Daddy soft-shoed in I'll Be Missing You. Remember they, that? Yeah, they also sang with Allure on one of the low-key jams of the 90s, uh-huh. All Cried Out. Produced by Ms. Mariah Carey. I believe at the time she was doing her own imprint and they were under Crave, if I recall. I yep. could be wrong. You're such a liar. You know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so 112 brings us to Doha, all kinds of mess. I want to start with the tennis on this episode because this episode does have the potential to devolve into pettiness and drama. Well, you're going to start with pettiness right away because you're going to talk about Petra and how amazing she was, yes, but it's just a preamble before you get into Wozniacki. What? So, Petra Kvitova, this is 13 matches in a row. We take for granted that she wins at Fed Cup basically every time she goes out there, but she won St. Petersburg two weeks ago, two matches at Fed Cup, and now she's won a big tournament in Doha, beating just top flight competition the whole way. In this little stretch of the past few weeks, she's beaten six top ten players. She beat Yulia Gurgis twice in that stretch. And, uh, I mean, you know, she's beaten players who have been on a roll, really. Wozniacki, the new number one. Muguruza, who hasn't been on really a roll, but is a quality opponent. By comparison, Ryan Harrison has two top ten wins in his career. Oh, wow. You really came that way. Already. (laughs) Listen, she had three three-set matches in Doha alone, and she lost the first set in each of them. Did you know that? I did not know mm-hmm. that. She has a spotty record against Radwanska. Um, now she's 7-5 and five against her, but, you know, five losses to Radwanska is nothing to sniff at. Agnieszka poses a, a particular problem for a player like Petra, I think, and after losing the first set, she came through that in a really hard-fought match. Each match... Given that this was on the back end of her winning streak, she looked to be more and more pressed, more and more tired. You mused about how delirious she was after <laughs> one of her matches toward the back end of that. Yes. In the, in the on-court interviews, in the semi and the final, she just seemed uh, kind of basically so exhausted that she was punchy. Kind of loopy. Yeah. Like the interviewer would ask a question and she would just kind of giggle. Like she thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I think she she probably didn't even know, like, how am I still out here doing this? Fitness has not always been Petra's strong suit. Years ago, she used to wilt in the U.S. Open in the heat. She suffered from allergies. The humidity bothered her. But, I mean, here she is playing three weeks in a row, top quality tennis. And Petra, even though I don't think she's uh, she's in full flight, Petra, even near her peak, is something to be feared. She's back in the top 10. This after all that she went through at the end of 2016 with the now infamous home invasion Mm. attack, which threatened her career, and I'm sure in the moment threatened her life. And she said that for months she couldn't have full motion, full feel in her hand, her playing hand. And it seems that she might be close to her best again and feeling her best with her hand. Because she said at the end of this stretch that while her body felt like it was just falling apart, her hand felt totally fine. (laughs) Right. That was like the only thing still working, basically. It's crazy to think that a year ago today, we weren't sure if Petra would be even playing tennis. It wasn't a matter of, 
well, I wonder if she'll be as great as she once was. It was like, is she going to be able to hold a racket and play? We knew that the surgery was successful, and she was showing a lot of optimism about the the outcome and the prognosis, but, I mean, who was to say? So I think we've gone from a place where looking at her results last year was like, wow, the Petra's story is, is still being written. And I think we have transcended that at this point. Now the question is, can Petra be even greater than she was? Like, that's not outside of the realm of possibility, which is stunning. I think that's still a bit premature. I think the, the biggest takeaway right now is that she won a tournament last year, I believe it was Birmingham, right? Yeah. And she kind of put in some spotty results around that. It, it still wasn't Petra, right? Mm-hmm. She still played Venus really tough at the U.S. Open. She had moments of... Of good results. She beat Muguruza at the U.S. Open right before that. Yeah, but this is the first sustained stretch of excellence, being able to come back week to week to week and be good to great mm-hmm. consistently, which which bodes well for the rest of her career. And now she finds herself back in the top 10, which again, who, who could have foreseen this? I mean, even when Petra was among the best consistently... Her results were really spotty here and there. You know, I think it's the main reason that she never reached number one. Because she has the big titles, the big wins over top players, but she stalled at number two because she can be inconsistent and streaky. So I'm hoping this is a sign of things to come. I'm glad that she's taking the week off in Dubai and getting some rest and hopefully continuing this little role. Simona Halep had to withdraw from her semifinal match against Muguruza. Well, she withdrew before she even knew who her opponent would have been. Mm-hmm. She beat Bellis right. easily in that quarterfinal and then withdrew pretty much right away, which then gave Muguruza a, a free pass to the final, if you will. That's disappointing for me, for Simona. Right. Because she didn't seem to be having a letdown after that grueling Australian Open. She had number one again, potentially, on her racket this week. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, whoever outlasted the other in this tournament would have ended the tournament number one between herself and Wozniacki. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, with neither playing next week in Dubai, well, this week, Simona will become number one again. Right, but, but not till next Monday, right? Yeah, but we've talked before about how many times she's had the opportunity to secure number one of her own doing. And this would have been another opportunity for her to do it and her body let her down. And so she'll become number one again, kind of back-ending into it due to the way the rankings are set up and Wozniacki not defending finals points in Dubai this week. Mm-hmm. I mean, Muguruza did not have an easy path to the final. In a tournament like this, you know, she played Garcia, I believe, in the quarterfinals. Had the, well, for her, the good fortune to have a walkover in the semis. And then to face Petra Gavidova. It could have easily been Caroline Wozniacki, the new number one. And really, Petra was outplayed in almost every way in the first set of this final, and even much of the second set. (laughs) So I was sitting there wondering, how is she going to put in a good showing in the second set? These shots are just not going anywhere near the court. She just looks exhausted. And then she flipped a switch again, which she's been doing over the past three weeks. It's crazy. Okay, big news on the men's side. We have the oldest number one in ATP history. He surpassed Andre Agassi, who was number one at age 33. It's Roger Federer, who is 36 years old. And there's just, what is standing in his in his path right now? Except for Rafael Nadal on clay, who is standing in his path? Uh, the gap in the points tell the story. It's mm-hmm. those two for the foreseeable future. Federer is where he is without any clay points. With zero. He has over 10,000 ranking points with zero clay points. Yeah. He's essentially won damn near everything he's entered in the last year. That's the thing. Like, I, I'm just not going to be pressed about the scheduling. I know a lot of people are. And it is, it's cunning, right? It's smart. It's gaming the system, if you will. But what is unfair about it? You know, at this... How is it gaming the system? Well, that's what that's what the fandoms are saying. You know, the Nadal and the Djokovic fans are saying, and I just sim- I have to respectfully disagree because the guy is thirty six. He is free to play wherever and whenever he would like. If he were physically showing an injury, 
the way we knew Agassi was at the back end of his career, really struggling to stay on court. You know, nobody Mm -hmm. blinked twice about him skipping the clay season or missing the French or what have you to strategically preserve his body for events that were more important to him. Right. Right. But we just see Federer out here balling, winning everything, looking invincible. And so I guess people are like, well, why, why doesn't he play clay? to them because they know he knows he can't he can't win Rafa's going to beat him it's going to be wearing down his body for the rest of the year I see you you know like so yeah. what like we've always taken the position on this podcast that if anybody's are in the position to be able to do this on, men, on on the men's store it's him it's only to the point where people are criticizing him because he's winning everything else like if Roger were just still making semifinals and not winning big events and maybe three or four in the world, what would the, the discourse and the, the conversation be? Let him do what he needs to do, really. Right. Now, that being said, I do think skipping an entire major surface of the sport does take a little bit of sheen off of it, and that's why I voted for Rafa as Player of the Year last year, because he played on every surface, everywhere. You know, clay is, clay is not a minor surface. It's not carpet. Like, it's one of the major parts of the tennis calendar. While I don't think Roger is wrong or or being unfair for skipping it, I think you have to take it into consideration. In terms of who is who's subjectively... Who's the greatest or who's performing who the best. Who is subjectively the best player right now. Right. That's a totally different story from who is deserving of number one because it's whoever has the most points. Oh, yeah. And the argument that he's skipping clay to help himself undercuts that argument. Because if he played clay, he'd at least have a few quarterfinals to add to his tally, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We joked about this amongst ourselves. The adulation about Federer is, uh, is always something that's kind of held, held me back, at least, from, from really being a fan. Because I, I like the guy. I have a lot of respect for him. I, I really don't dislike him. It's just the, the absolute, like, religiosity that surrounds Federer, especially among the tennis establishment, because... That Foster Wallace, let's be real, right, helped right. codify. I noticed even some Fed fans this week were like, okay, I get it. Like, I get it now. Why? It can be annoying. It can be a little too much, right? Anyway, my point is that fans are free to worship as they will. This is what fans do. It was always like the, uh, the establishment worship that, that sort of annoyed me. The Chris Everts... You know that these kind of folks who just refuse to be even even gesture toward objectivity, because <laughs> I don't expect them to be completely impartial. But it's just it's too much. I just kind of accept it as what it is at this point, and I've done a very good job of blocking it out <laughs> and being very yeah. selective in how I take in my federal news. <laughs> it's it's very easy. You just go on the WTA ATP app, the Pro Tennis app, yeah. see the score, and move on. <laughs> okay, so Federer is back in number one. He beat Dimitrov in the final at Rotterdam, and Dimitrov was injured. And it was such a bad performance that he was actually prompted to tell the umpire that this is not tanking. The umpire did basically ask him, like, what the hell is going on? Are you tanking? And he's like, no, I can promise you that that's, this is not what that is. Well, Grigor is not really one to put in that kind of performance no intentionally I, th- I think it was a really inappropriate suggestion he's not that kind of guy like everybody knows that what does this mean for federer now well i don't know the th- so he's defending the sunshine double right he's defending 1000 points at each of indian wells in miami which are coming up soon like i said there there are not a lot of players who stand in his way i think physically it's it's just a really really tough turnaround He's added a tournament here that he doesn't normally play. I'm sure he'll have confidence and good feelings being back at number one. It's a place, the ranking makes him really comfortable and confident. Obviously, he's held it for longer than anyone ever has. He holds the number one ranking really, really well. Which is arguably something that's the opposite for Nadal. Right. Where some of his most unfortunate and not disappointing in the sense of his performance, but injury-wise and some of the roughest stretches of his career have come after getting number one. Yeah, because a lot of times he's had to exert so much to gather that many points to take over the number one ranking from 
Federer or Djokovic that it's just too much. Like, then he starts suffering from injuries. And yeah, him at number one, I'm not heartbroken over Rafa losing the ranking because he's the best number two ever. So Roger will play in the U.S. hardcourt swing. And then there's Clay. I, you know, he's, he's suggested, you know, I might play a tournament here or there on Clay. I'm not sure. So I don't know. I don't know if he'll play, he'll try to defend those points in the U.S. and then take a little hiatus for a few months. With the sorry state of the ATP right now, maybe they should just get together on a conference call and decide to play alternating tournaments the rest of the year. Oh, Roger and Rafa. Roger and Rafa, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Collect the points, stay at the top of the rankings, win the tournaments, and get the money. I'm holding out hope that Andy Murray can come back in the summer and be his old self. That remains to be seen, of course. Do you think that Roger will play on clay at all? Or too soon to tell? The most likely way that he will play some clay events is if he loses early in the Sunshine Swing. Yeah, yeah. But if he goes deep into those tournaments, if he decides to to play Indian Wells, which he obviously will, and then decide to defend in Miami back-to-back like that, it it becomes more difficult to see him doing it. Because if he didn't do it last year, why would he do it this year? Right. A year older. Elsewhere on the ATP, we were in Long Island for the New York Open, the inaugural version. So it's moved from Memphis to Long Island. It has attracted basically the same type of player, a lot, obviously, a lot of the American men, some of the like 10 to 30 range of guys from other countries. Obviously, there's a lot to say about the New York Open because some other shit went down, not totally related to the tennis, but... It was a complete disaster. What? <laughs> okay, let me, let me preface this by saying I don't think it's a... It's not a terrible idea because the all of basically the other Grand Slams have big tournaments near their city or in the same city. Sometimes it's not at the same time of the year. So like Paris has Roland Garros and then the Paris indoors in the fall. Um, Melbourne obviously has Sydney, not not right next door, but there are other Australian tournaments on the east coast of Australia. There's Queen's Club leading up to Wimbledon. Exactly. So it makes sense for New York to have another ATP tournament. But if you're going to be opening a tournament like that in New York City, you need to be appealing to a much more diverse audience. Within driving distance, there are, what, 30 million people? Something like, like, it's a huge, huge market, obviously. But somehow they just not did not draw the crowds in, especially in the middle of the week. The thing is, like, it's February, it's New York. You know how it is up north. Like, people don't want to go out and watch tennis in the middle of winter, even if it is indoors, right? It's just, the mood is not right for tennis, I feel, at that time of the year. I think the sticking point is, are people gonna come out for these players? Even American fans? Like, are they gonna sell tickets? We're told, we saw complaints from a lot of folks about the the cost of the tickets as well. Mm. And that's also a big prohibiting factor as well. The American guys like to complain a lot, a lot about how they don't get American support. And the thing is, when you act a damn fool on social media, expose yourself like this, who wants to support you? Who wants to, aside from all the political shit, who wants to support players who are constantly bitching and moaning about not being supported? And I'm talking about John Isner, Ryan Harrison, now throw Steve Johnson into the mix because he exposed himself. I've always maintained that 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 consideration hurts them with diehard tennis fans the casual Mm -hmm. tennis fan doesn't really know that much about that stuff so it becomes an issue then of what is the reach of the men's game beyond just having so-called local talent what is the tour doing to get japanese fans in to watch nishikori Mm -hmm. getting players from south america or spain to come to this event to tap into those other markets as well because say fine everybody who's offended by ryan harrison doesn't show up that still leaves a big gap that you can fill so like what is the reason Mm -hmm. for it right and you're right like the vast majority of tennis fans probably don't even know that stuff about ryan harrison most people are not on tennis twitter it's just not on their radar a lot of people on tennis twitter don't even know themselves you know like i feel like we are within a bubble Mm -hmm. when it comes to knowing all this stuff quote-unquote, intimately about the players. Right. Instead of showing these empty stadiums, why not 
give tickets to schools, local tennis clubs, like get kids in there during the day, you know? I, it just seemed like it was a miss. And I don't think that the the event is doomed, but they need to think about these things moving into next year. They're haunted by this absolutely toxic generation of white American men. And I think a lot of American fans are looking to the next generation to to step up. And the thing is, they're still very young. We don't really know them. There's a lot of guys like TFO, Escobedo, Fritz, um, Opelka. We don't know if they're going to be great or major forces on the ATP. But a lot of people are looking to them to fill a gap. Because the thing is, like, tennis is a minor sport in America. And if you're not consistently reaching the later rounds of slams, people do not know who you are. The big four people would come out for in the U.S. I just, I don't think these guys have the marketability that they think they do. There's more to say about that with respect to what happened between Ryan Harrison and Donald Young. We'll get to that later on to probably close the show. But we'll do a little bit of a, a backtracking here so that you can get all messy with Miss Caroline. <laughs> you know, Caroline provides all of the mess. I just have to recount it. As you know, if you follow Caroline Wozniacki or Tennis Twitter, she has a bit of a history with chair umpires. She can get a little nasty at times, yet she's managed to carry around this moniker Sunshine since she was younger, since she was like 18. But slowly but surely, she's been revealing this fairly confrontational and some say bratty attitude on court with respect to the officials. So she's asked just really condescending things like, did you go to school? Or saying that she's going to sue the umpire for what he did. It's just, first of all, it's not funny. Like, she's not very quick-witted when it comes to being rude. And it just comes off as really bitter and small. But what specifically happened here? Mm -hmm. You're testifying at the moment. Oh, okay. So at this tournament, in her round of 16 match against Monica Nicolescu, who can be a very frustrating opponent for everyone, right? She hits a lot of drop shots, side spins, she has a slice forehand. She drives people mental. Nicolescu is the same woman who beat Sharapova at this tournament Mm -hmm. with her slice and dice forehand. Right. So Caroline was growing very frustrated by her game and supposedly her grunting and her selective grunting, in Caroline's opinion. In defense of Caroline, this is something we've said even just this year on the show with respect to Sabalenko, Mm -hmm. that when the grunt is coming that far, that long after the ball has been struck, that's an issue. Right. Like, does she have a case? Maybe. This is going to be one of those instances where... Multiple things are true. <laughs> right. And we've actually, we're going to do a segment at some point in the future where we we talk about what are the, the main tenets of the body serve. And that's one of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that many things are true, almost always. Right. And in this case, that is one of them. That, you know, if I'm Caroline, I'd be pissed off too that I'm about to hit my ball and there's Nicolescu grunting. Aha. Uh-huh. That being said, the way she decided to handle it was to mimic Nicolescu's grunt within a point. And, I mean, totally throw her off. In my opinion, that's a hindrance. It's childish. It's not befitting the number one player in the world. So the umpire, Emmanuel Joseph, they got into it a little bit, and he was like, what are you doing? And so she just goes on a diatribe and and then goes on to mimic the grunt again, which was, I mean, can we play some audio from that, please? That shit is hilarious. Like, she's really petty, but I had to laugh at that. Petty is exactly the right word, because mm-hmm. if she's she likes to get her lawyering hat on in the middle of these matches, right? Where you can see that Caroline is, is readying for a cross-examination with the umpire. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to make that case, which you have a right to make that case, you say something directly to the umpire in a very forthright matter-of-fact way at the changeover maybe you go say that to her Nicolescu after you've beaten her at the end of the match and say listen I did not like the way this happened 
you know, but to mm-hmm. then be doing it in the middle of the point and then to be dramatizing it like that when you've been caught with your hand in the cookie jar by the umpire, it's, I mean, I hate to moralize and say this is not becoming of a number one player, but it really isn't. And it's the, just, it's beyond mm-hmm. not being a good look. The problem is that Caroline likes to get her lawyering on, but she has not studied for the bar. <laughs> she's not, like, she's not even an L1. She's just, she she comes up and says, well, that's that's against the rules. And then she admits, I don't know what the rule is. So what is, what is your argument? What are you trying to prove here? You're saying that you're displeased. Anybody who's ever seen Caroline in a press conference knows that she's not always the most forthcoming with below-the-surface answers. Mm-hmm. But she was all about <laughs> telling you what she felt about the yes. situation in her post-match press conference. Now, I think what was really the, the worst look the most low-class moment was when she said to the umpire, it's the only way she can win is to piss people off. So... This is not new. This is... And mm-hmm. we we saw Wozniacki in the press conference to compare her to Putin Seva. Like, they had that same right. instance. Her and Putin Seva, was it last year? There was a, a bit of a kerfuffle to the same point where Wozniacki was saying that's the only way she can win. Remember that? <laughs> Right. By getting inside somebody's said. And my question to her is then, like, you're number one. You just had the biggest win of your life. You have been winning more than anybody on the WTA Tour. How is it that you're at a point mentally where you allow yourself to be hoodwinked by Nicolescu? Right. You know, like, what does it say about you if you go into this match, according to you, knowing that this is the only way that this player can win and that she is absolutely going to do this? And yet you still allow yourself, as the world number one, one of the more successful players on tour. Mm -hmm. And at the peak of your career, to get yourself in this situation and and stoop to that level. Like, you're going to waste your time on this, really? And it's so, so disrespectful to Monica Nicolescu's game to say this is the only way she can win. She's clearly a very skilled ball striker in a, a rather unconventional way. The wins are not by accident. So I was not impressed by it. And neither was Monica. No. Uh, thanks to uh, Irina Aldea from Twitter, she provided the translation. Monica said, that was very bad from her. I've never heard a number one talk like that. I'm really disappointed by what she said. And I think she gives herself too much importance. <laughs> like, oh, well. Oh, hell. Okay. Don't hold back. That was in, she said that in Romanian, so we are at the mercy of translators. And it's hard to to get context from that. But she was pissed off. You could tell in her tone. And I would be too. I mean, Carol, Caroline had another incident the next day against Kvitova, complaining about a, a call. And I thought, oh my god, here it comes again. Like, this is going to devolve into another typical display from her against the same umpire. And then... Back in 2015, somebody sent me this. It was so good. It was also... Sent you this? You hadn't seen it before? I had seen it, but it it sparked my memory. She was playing Victoria Azarenka at Doha with the same umpire. The same tournament (laughs) with the same umpire. (laughs) So these two have a real history. Oh, so maybe we should let the listeners know that we can't look at this incident without all of the backstory. Just like how John Wertham did with Ryan Harrison on that podcast. Okay, we'll get there. (laughs) <laughs> the backstory is very important. The history with these two players, and in this case, the umpire mm-hmm. as well, it really provides all the context for all the heinous behavior. It does. It's, it is It is. the missing link. Mm-hmm. Are you being sarcastic? Why? What? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so Caroline, the way it happened way back in Doha in 2015, or 2014, I don't remember what year it was, she hit a first serve as out. Second serve hit the net cord and bounced out. It wasn't called out, but the replay showed clearly it was like well wide. So it was really a double fault. But Azarenka challenged it. The challenge system wasn't working. And so then, I mean, all hell absolutely broke loose. Vika was upset that the challenge thing wasn't working because it was it was well out. Like it was obvious. Caroline then decided that she had been victimized and said, you know what, I deserve a first serve now because this had taken so long. (laughs) So the young woman who 
who just hit a double fault, which I, I really feel like she had to know. She said, well, you know, it's, I don't know the rules, but since it's taken so long, I deserve a first serve. And just the, the theater between the two is hilarious. Caroline knew she was wrong so bad that she was actually laughing toward the end. Like she couldn't even keep a straight face. It's like, what else would you like? Would you like an on-court massage while you wait for the challenge system to come up? And because Would just you like, like a lobster dinner? Vika's just like, come on, come on. <laughs> it, are, are we really doing this yeah. right now? It did remind me how much I miss Azarenka. When and I will remind you too, like I have many times on the podcast before, in Vika's absences, that you are so fond of Vika when she's not playing. <laughs> and as soon as she steps on the court... That tide turns oh so swiftly. When she comes back, I'll probably get tired of her pretty quickly, but I really, really want her back because I acknowledge what she adds to tennis. And she's so funny. Because you are a great A messy bitch. Wow. Like, we know this. Wow, I'm not going to take that. No, you see, this is a self-declaration that all you right. fill out on doctor's forms all the time. Uh, Age, sex. Pre-existing condition. Exactly, messy bitch. <laughs> You talk about wanting Vika back on tour, and something I thought about this week was how consistent the women have been to start the year and how it's adding to pretty much the entirety of 2017. And it's consistency in terms of, while you might not have the same winners winning week in, week out, people winning multiple slams in a year, you have, on any given week, any number of women willing to put their hand up and turn in a top flight performance, mm. right? And so what we see now is that, to my mind, the depth on the WTA is some of the best it's had since the early 2000s. When you had, you, I challenge you to go back on the WTA website if, it's, if that function is working now. Because <laughs> there was a shoddy moment or two when they switched their website last year. But you go back to look at the rankings from, say, March 2003, or even 2002. And those top top 15, top 20, that's, that's a hell of a field. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we are entering that stage, if we haven't already, on the WTA right now. And we still don't have Serena. We don't have Vika. We have uh, a post-Meldonium Sharapova mm-hmm. that we don't know what to make of, truthfully. Well, right now, I don't know what's going on, but she does look like a shadow of herself mm. at the moment. We have Radwanska, who is kind of floundering. We have mm. Kuznetsova, who is out injured. She's about to come back. There are all these players within the top 50 that can cause damage every week. We just saw Cece Bellis make a good run to the quarterfinals. Mm. Beat Madison Keys. Uh-huh. And she just won her first match again as a wild card in Dubai. She's just outside the top 40. Any number of women can can do what's not being done on the ATP right now. And so what that got me to thinking of was what do we think the WTA top 10 is going to look like by the end of the year? It's kind of a fun thought experiment. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to each, having not seen the others at this point, give you who we think is going to be the year in top 10 on the WTA. And then we'll revisit it at the end of the year to see how how well we did or how far off base we were. Oh, that's a lot of pressure. We're actually going to go back and check our work. I mean, the receipts are there. If we don't do it, I'm sure some messy bitch will do it for us. <laughs> okay, first we should probably just say who's in the top 10 right now. So we have Wozniacki, Halep, Muguruza, Svitolina, Pliskova, Ostapenko, Garcia, Venus, Kerber, and Kvitova. You want me to go first? Sure. Okay, here's my top 10. Not in no particular order. Wozniacki, Murutha, Svitolina, Halep, Venus and Serena, Angelique Kerber, Patrick Vidova, and my two kind of outside picks are Ash Barty and uh, Dasha Sergeyevna Kazakina. Oh, we share seven of those same mm-hmm. picks. I you noticed you didn't have Karolina Pliskova. I there. didn't, and uh, it was it was tough. To call somebody who's been so consistent, but I do think, um, I don't know, I have not really been impressed by Pliskova lately. I think it's probably pretty likely that she'll finish in the top 10, but I don't know. 
with this serve of hers, I just feel like she should be doing so much more damage than she is. And I think it's the serve that would keep her in the top 10. Mm. You Fair know, enough. Like yeah. She's good enough and solid enough to not suffer extended losing streaks, I think, at mm-hmm. this point in her career. That's fair. For me, in no particular order, I have Halep, Wozniacki, Muguruza, Kvitova, Kerber, Barty, and Svitolina as the seven that we have in common. Mm. And then I have Pliskova, I have Caroline Garcia, and I have Belinda Bencic. Belinda Bancic, yes, really? Yes, Bancic. Because I think it's it's likely that we'll see somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of points to defend make that run up the rankings. And uh, notice I didn't have Venus or Serena in there. Really? I didn't. Um, Listen, but if I didn't put Venus in there, you would have dragged me. No, I think there's... I understand why you would say that. Mm. But Venus just has so many points to defend, and it's not like she's going to be getting other points from other tournaments. She has to defend or point. do better at the tournaments that she'll be playing again this year that she did last year. Mm-hmm. And so that means that she'd have to win Wimbledon, make the final of the US Open, win Singapore, and she's already not off to the best start in 2018, mm-hmm. save for winning two matches at Fed Cup. So while I would like to see it, I, I don't think it's going to be a travesty of a year for Venus. I think she'll still do well. I just think that it will be tough for her to hang on to the, the top 10. As for Serena, it's more of a not wanting to put any expectation on what her comeback is going to be like. Because it's going to be tough. Like we saw that with, with Fed Cup, like, it doesn't seem that she's fully ready to be like, top flight competitive yet. Which, which makes perfect sense. Right, right. I think we, we need to temper our expectations of this reincarnation of Serena being what she may have been coming back from injuries 10 years ago in her career. Mm-hmm. Where of people course. would just expect like, oh yeah, Serena, she can... There was this myth about Serena that Serena could just wake up out of bed after having two months off from injury and go beat anybody on the WTA Tour. It doesn't take into consideration all the weeks and weeks of preparation and hard work that she undoubtedly puts in. Mm-hmm. You know, back then, there wasn't people on Twitter following her every movements, reporting what she was doing off the court. She, We didn't have her Instagram. We didn't have her Snapchat to see what she was doing while she wasn't playing. You know, so like, I can see how that myth took hold, mm-hmm. where you, the last time you saw her, she was like, oh, not winning a tournament, being injured. And then the next time she shows up at the Australian Open, she's just beating everybody. Well, and finding a way but to it win. wasn't entirely mythical. N- sure, it's it's a bit of both. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, nobody has come back from this many layoffs that strongly, ever. Uh, Rafael Nadal is probably a close second. Yes, I'm saying that people take it for granted. Yes. And I'm saying she's older now and childbirth is like totally different from and, and especially her coming experience. back from an injury yeah it's like there are a lot of things that we as fans and t- sometime tennis pundits have no idea about mm. with what her life was like off the court with giving birth you know okay. and what this comeback entails so me not having her in the top 10 is more about like let me just leave serena to do what she needs to do right that's fair but keep in mind that it's only february that She's playing nine events. Right. It it only takes around 3,000 points to get in the top 10. A little more than 3,000 as it stands right now. And if she wins a major, if, that's 2,000. So if she can find another... She's not defending anything. She's starting from zero, which is kind of an advantage. Like, he's, like with Benchich, right? It is, yes. She might be able to cobble together a top 10 finish. And... Uh, Playing. I just I don't want to jinx it because I have all these ideas of what she's going to accomplish, but you know, it's it's just so unclear right now. And so, so I give you my top ten. We'll see how that turns. I out. noticed Colleen wasn't in there. Uh, Yulia Gurgis. My my thinking was that she has a ton of points at the end of the yeah. year to to defend. The Conte is not there either for either of us. Mm-hmm. Ostapenko is not there. No, I mean. I would like to see something more from Ostapenko than what I've seen in the last few months. Yeah. We saw her make the final in Charleston. We saw her win the French Open. Take those points away and where is she? 
mm. to then get back into the top 10 once those points come off. It's going to be... Mm. She has the talent, but she also has one of the worst serves on the WTA. <laughs> on the whole WTA? She does. Yeah, and, that um, does need to be improved, definitely. So we'll, we'll see. She's still young. No Madison Keys from either of us. No, I, I'm just like, I'm not... I feel like we're just not getting a lot to work with with either Madison or Sloan. They're both close to the top 10 now. It's just... I don't know. Like, Madison can surprise you. You know, she can go on a really great streak. And same with Sloan. I just... I don't know what to base it on at this point. What about Eugenie Bouchard? What? <laughs> there must have been better segues to mention that she's currently actually mm-hmm. in court these next couple days with her USTA lawsuit. Is that what you're trying to bring up? Yes. The trial has begun. Jury selection was today. I think they heard opening arguments. Ben Rothenberg has been tweeting about it. And I guess they're not allowing people to record and you know not have their phones in the actual courtroom. So the reporting has been uh, spotty. But apparently her lawyer was um, censured. Is that the correct word? Basically told by the judge that his questioning was... Red for filth. ...was really trashy. His questioning, he needs to get his shit together and be more professional. Which is really in keeping with everything we've seen from her lawyer publicly. I thought you were going to say mess. seen from her. And it's like, oh. that would be like a step <laughs> too far even no. for you. No, her lawyer has been just messy as fuck in public this whole, whole time. Blaming everybody and their granny. I'm really interested to see where this goes. I hope all the documents come out. I hope someone's been filming it on their phone because I will watch all like 150 hours of this thing. Why didn't you take vacation time to go to the courthouse? (laughs) Let's talk about Health IQ, our sponsor. They're a life insurance agency who works with only the top, you know, A or A plus rated insurers to get you the best rates possible on life insurance. Are you a health conscious person? Are you a tennis player? The reason why they're sponsoring us is because we imagine there are a lot of you out there who are health conscious and because you play tennis would be a good candidate Mm -hmm. to unlock some of these special rates. If you are doing the work. You should reap some benefits for it. You really should. This is not an experience where you just go online and you fill out something and then you don't deal with anybody, right? There's mm-hmm. a health IQ agent who takes you through the process the entire the entire way. It's very hands-on and you can save up to 33% on your life insurance premium. Mm-hmm. What I really like is they have this, you can either take a quiz to kind of show that you're health conscious or you can actually log workouts on an app or, you know, if you've run races or whatever, you just provide evidence that you've completed the races and you can qualify, you know, for the the lower rates. Mm-hmm. And so to see if you qualify... Get your free quote at healthiq.com slash bodysurf or mention the promo code bodysurf when you talk to an agent. We'll finish this episode with the Ryan Harrison, Donald Young bit. Finally, at long last, after years in the making, I am blocked by Ryan Harrison. Yeah, what took so long? I really don't know. <laughs> I called him by his name in a tweet with oh the my... ATP tour. Mm-hmm. You, you, I was not making a... You tagged him? Yeah, I was not making a call me by your name reference That's there. what it don't sounded look, like. Don't look, look at me like that. Okay. No, I'm not trying to sully that in that way. No. Do you want to tell us what happened? Well, if you're not up to date, Ryan Harrison and Donald Young played against each other in the New York Open... It was a very contentious match, a lot of just bad feelings between the two. There's a lot of history between the two, as we found out. It was happening right as we were recording our last episode. Right, it was. Somebody tweeted, I think it was Rosianki, she tweeted at us saying, did you see what happened between Harrison and Young? We're like, no, mm. tell us, we're recording. Right. You know? And actually, Chad made mention of watching Donald Young on Tennis Channel when we were when we were recording. So we had no idea at the time it would turn into this. There was a lot of bickering between the two, and at one point, Donald Young, after the match, accused Ryan of saying, basically, 
saying racist things to Donald Young. Mm-hmm. He said, it's, it's nice to know what you think of me as a black man, mm-hmm. is what he said. Right. right. Now, his girlfriend has been out here on Instagram and Twitter saying exactly what was said, or what Donald said Ryan told him. Mm-hmm. Kind of in the vein of what Leighton Hewitt said to, to James Blake all those years ago. Just not... Well, you can you can say what mm-hmm. what is alleged to have been said because nobody wants to seem to say it right, right. in any way, shape, or form. Because they're probably afraid of getting sued. No, but we're not even hearing what Ryan claims he said he said. Uh, this is true. Like We're not hearing anything about mm-hmm. anything specifically from anybody throughout this whole thing, and this is what's pissing me off. So mm-hmm. you let, tell it. Well, I think the only person who's actually come out and said... This is what Ryan said was Donald Young's girlfriend, Valentina. Mm-hmm. Valentina claims that Ryan Harrison said, quote, that's what all you black people do, end quote, after Donald Young cheered, come on, to pump himself up. So that's what the girlfriend said. Now, I don't really even have confirmation that she is indeed his girlfriend. I mean, it appears like that based on her Instagram. I don't want to say something wrong and, and be called out for it later. She's since gone private on Twitter. I had to dig up this screenshot. I mean, she was trashed, like roundly savaged by the typical defenders of American men's tennis on Twitter. And you know who they are. Mm-hmm. They're always out here um, defending people who really, really don't need to be defended. The thing is, it's one of our listeners actually, and I don't know if he wants to be called out, so I'm not going to say his name, but he tweeted something about how black people in America are conditioned to listen to dog whistles. That a lot of things that you may see on paper and not read it as racially motivated strike a a chord in black people. So while Ryan may have not said exactly that quote, he, he may have said something that read to Donald as racist. Or he may have said exactly that, and not, he may have, and it may not have been deemed racist by the people who are doing the interpreting and the right. deciding. Right. And because we kept hearing that stuff like racially insensitive language, a racial slur, like what? What exactly? I would like to know what was being charged, and part of that is the vagueness that Donald mm-hmm. started this whole thing with. Right. Right. He was pretty vague. I mean, Donald himself has not come out and said, Ryan said this. Mm -hmm. He said that he made a, basically a racially offensive comment to me at the net. And he also upholds that... He didn't even say that. He just said that it's, now I know what he thinks of mm, me as a black man, mm, which in itself is vague. Right. Oh, it was the girlfriend who who really added the color. Yes. Now, the ATP has conducted an investigation... And they say they have found no evidence of wrongdoing. They interviewed ball kids, the umpire. Nobody heard anything. Now, the absence of evidence doesn't necessarily mean it didn't happen or, or that something was said. Because Ryan, actually, Ryan did outright lie on Beyond the Baseline because he said he misrepresented where the supposed comment took place. Apparently, it was at the net, Ryan represented it as if he were calling it across the net. Like, so a lot of people could hear. The Donald Young side said that it happened in close quarters. You know, that it was possible that only the two players would have overheard it. So we've got a ball boy who was at the event. Now he's on Twitter saying, you know, I'm risking my ball kid career basically by coming out and defending Ryan. Uh, it's just like what a is he whole defending? Mess. Is he saying that I know for sure I didn't hear any racial slurs? He's saying I, I know for sure it did not happen. What didn't happen? The, like nobody exactly, is right. saying what they did or didn't hear, mm-hmm. and I don't know what it is that they are or aren't looking for. <laughs> That's a really good point. It's crazy yeah, to me. Yeah. Like all I and then the ATP came out on the Friday saying we've conducted the investigation and there was no evidence found to support this. Mm-hmm. Support what? And what is the evidence? We right. know that there is a lack of evidence well, there because is there's no, no audio. <laughs> like, and is it because there's just a lack of audio that you aren't able to have a conclusive 
absolutely definitive this didn't happen mm-hmm. right is that what you're saying or like tell me what it is that you're saying are you saying that because there's no audio there's no conclusive way to say what happened mm-hmm. or are you just saying it didn't happen are you then saying like ryan harrison is on the beyond the baseline podcast that donald young is a liar he explicitly oh, called yeah. him a liar and accused him of making this up as a personal vendetta against Ryan because he doesn't like him, because he's still bitter over the fact that Harrison was chosen over Young for Davis, for Davis Cup, Cup years those, ago, yeah. like eight years ago. And also because, as Ryan so glibly put it, well, he keeps losing to Ryan, so he's probably mad about that. Yeah, he's just pressed, basically. Yeah. Now... Okay, so we mentioned Ryan Harrison was on Beyond the Baseline with John Wertheim today. It was released today. John said that he asked both Donald and Ryan to sit down for an interview, and Donald said no. And uh, I don't blame him for that in any way. Now, in the absence of an interview with Donald Young, we have Ryan Harrison as the only principal actor giving his story. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it journalistically... Wertheim didn't do anything wrong, but editorially, and now you have only this one voice coming out. And Ryan Harrison is on his soapbox. He's defending his reputation. He, I mean, he talks nonstop. It was for like 35 minutes. Listening to him was like reading Darko Gernknerv's writing. <laughs> I, I have to say, I was just immensely disappointed by the interview. Because I felt, uh, I don't know what to say. I honestly, I don't want to get mean because I've read John Wertheim for a long time, but there was every opportunity to press and he just simply did not do it. I don't know what this type of interview should look like. Mm -hmm. So I'm not here to tell Wertheim what he should or shouldn't have done outside of explicitly asking like Jim Lasanta did at the end of that Mm -hmm. episode. Asking Ryan Harrison, well, if you say that you're totally vindicated and you're going to now level these charges against Donald Young, what exactly is it that you said in that conversation? Because they can bleep it out. They can edit stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, give your side of the story outside of telling us that you are misunderstood, that, you know, your fiery competitiveness allows you, you know, to be uncontrollable in calling your opponent a fucking German motherfucker. Right. And see, this is the thing that Wertheim just let sit in the air. He just let it float away. He he asked the question, you know, you're a really competitive guy. You've had outbursts on court. And then he lets Ryan go on for five minutes, unbroken, about how I am one of the best competitors out there. He said I that have, multiple he did. times. I have this competitive fire, but when it comes down to it in my real life, I'm so respectful I'm really proud of how I conduct myself, and et cetera, et cetera. So at no point did John ask, well, you know, in the last, what, six tournaments you've played, you've had confrontations with players, with umpires, you've called people, basically you've made ethnic remarks against several of your opponents. Like, this is not... You called someone a fucking German piece of shit. Not, what, not one month ago. Yeah. Like, how does this not even come up? And that is... John is always talking about how things get away on social media. Like, he cannot not have seen that. About the... No, the, of course not. The Hanfman thing, right? And if he didn't see it, he wasn't doing his due diligence as an interviewer. Because that's something that you can hear. There's no ambiguity about mm. it you you watch that clip you put your earbuds in you hear exactly what he's saying and it's it comes at a very innocuous time of the match like all that happened was that he lost the first set right you know there was no conflict between the players exactly that's the thing right right like we're fed this lie that these kerfuffles happen because of his competitive spirit mm-hmm. well you lose a tie break you lose a set and that competitiveness can be like, well, you know, smash a racket, curse at yourself like Andy Murray does. Mm-hmm. Instead, you decide unprompted to shout in the direction of your opponent, 
personal profane attacks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. And so this is something that John could have specifically spoken to outside of this Donald Young thing to give context to this almighty context that he wanted to ram down our throats in this podcast, mm -hmm. right? So instead, what we had was just Ryan talking and talking and talking ad nauseum without, uh, I don't know, I, I think that we have to, I'm ready to accept that the traditional tennis media is simply not equipped to grapple with these issues. And they will not. And we have to stop expecting it. When you have a charge of racism against someone, they're not going to handle it. They're just not. This, it, it sort of rests on the shoulders of podcasts, bloggers, people outside of the tennis mainstream, because these journalists are far too conflicted. They need to preserve access. John Wertheim works for Tennis Channel now. He, I mean... The podcast is... Uh, SI and Tennis Channel right. joint production now. He knows the American male tennis players. He's known Ryan Harrison for many years since he was a young kid coming up. Obviously, he's an American tennis journalist, the probably the preeminent one, so he's been writing about American tennis forever. I think he's too close to it. I think he just does not... He doesn't know how to handle it. No, I think it's more than that. We saw the traces of it so much in that interview where he's like, do you think you and Donald could sit down over a beer and kumbaya yeah, be friends yeah. again? Like, this is the conciliatory idea, it's the, ideal mm -hmm. that so many people are espousing in this Trump age. It's the insistence We're, that both sides are reasonable. Not only when that, they're not. but that there should be civility and that you should mm. suffer people's bullshit for the greater good of civility. Right. Like, that is the ideal. And we've taken the position, and so many have since the election, let's be real, that there are certain things that we will not stand for anymore that are deal breakers. Yes. That people people say all the time, oh, I have friends from all different political spectrums. We differ and so and so and so, but we can shoot the shit and play golf mm -hmm. and hang out. Like, that's deal breakers for some no. people now. I like, mean, it, for a lot of folks, it's a totally different climate. And that's legit. The, the be all end all doesn't have to be, nor should it be, let's hold hands on Kumbaya and get along. Mm. Which was what the major takeaway was for me with John in that interview. This was like, a, It was more, yeah. it, he wanted to placate the situation. That was his editorializing, right? To yes. placate the situation, put the fires out, rather than really hold him to the fire. That's a good point. But it is also propped up, and we see this in journalism everywhere, not just in sports, journalistic principles of balance and fairness that there are red states and there are blue states, there are Democrats and Republicans, there are two sides to every story, and they're both equally reasonable. Mm -hmm. This is, I mean, American journalism, North American journalism, the philosophy hinges on the fact that, you know, you ask a left person, you ask a right person, get a quote, put it together, you've been fair. The problem is that one side, first of all, there are many sides, there are not just the two, and the person you are talking to may not be entirely reasonable. They may believe that Muslims need to be deported. Like, can you have a drink with someone who believes that? Uh, like, the thing is, political differences are personal. Mm -hmm. the, the idea of the banality of evil is that evil can be nice. Evil can be simply taking orders or doing your job. Um, evil can be cloaked in politeness. And if someone is nice, we forgive a lot. Now, Ryan Harrison is not nice, but well, someone like Tennis Sangren has a sterling reputation among his peers because he is nice. No, but, but that Ryan, doesn't mean... Ryan he... also has a reputation of being nice to folks as well. Right. Like, I've seen it in Cincinnati where he went over to this older lady and wished her happy birthday and gave her a hug or something. And he was like, as sweet as can be. Mm -hmm. It's very in keeping with the Sangren thing, where it's the smoke and mirrors about how they can have all these compartments and facets to their... To their lives, their personalities, their beings, right? And mm -hmm. they get to choose what is like the main thing that makes up Tennis Sangren or Ryan Harrison. Right, right. You know, like, and that we shouldn't take issue with one compartment. Mm. It's just one thing. I'm just one and that's person. That's just being and, PC. And or... my, my one compartment that you don't like doesn't mean that we can't get along. We should be able to agree to disagree. Okay, but right? now but is not the time for that. No, and <laughs> and that is part of the context as well. 
which which John did get at, you know, but it's again it's framed within the whole, you know, the the way the the political world is now, you know, everybody's just pick one side and can't get along and by golly like we need to find a way to push through it. Mhm. David Brooks, fucking David Brooks out here talking about how okay, gun control, yes, 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 but we have to respect each other first. Like what are you talking about? The New York Times needs an Omsbud person, a public editor. They are fucking floundering. That's a topic for another day. Yeah, that is but, a bit uh, of a sidetrack. It is. But uh, sort of getting back down to the nitty gritty, for me, I can't say what was said on the tennis court. I can't say for sure that Donald heard what he did. I can't say that Ryan said that or didn't say that. I want to make can't... very clear that we're not accusing ryan harrison of saying those things because we just simply cannot we don't know. know and we also don't know if donald young is that vindictive and is making it i up. don't it's know possible. i also don't know that the thing is we should not be surprised that people believe it about ryan that's it and when you ask questions and when you claim you're trying to contextualize this you have to ask about incidents that are actually quite recent that would lead people to actually believe him capable of something like that. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed how after the interview was over, Jamie Lasanti, the producer of the podcast, came on and basically listed all the questions that John should have asked. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> it wasn't pointed; like it was done in a, a perfectly sweet way. But she was like, "Wow, here are you know all the things that you missed." I mean, I bet they were having a beer and holding hands and kumbaya <laughs> while they were doing it too. <laughs> I'm just not here to take as gospel that this did not happen, mm. right? Right. Perhaps Donald Young misheard. I think that's absolutely just as viable an option or a reality mm. than to take for granted what Harrison has us believe that Donald Young is out here pursuing a vendetta to destroy him right. by making the whole thing up. And can we get into... The fact that now he wants to sue for damage to reputation. Now, I'm no lawyer, but if your reputation was really shitty before, how can you sue for it being damaged? Maybe that's why I'm blocked, because those receipts <laughs> won't be readily, readily right. available. I was blocked. Hey, this is a total side note, but I was blocked because I tweeted something about him. I did not tag him, but somebody tagged him in the replies. So, like, don't do that. That this is Twitter one on one. Like, did you do you think did that person think that you forgot to put the at exactly? If that I it was an error, if I don't tag somebody, I did it for a reason. Like, I have basic understanding about how Twitter works, so don't do that. I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about this. These two are going to be playing. They're both American. They're going to see each other. It's mess. I wonder if why Donald hasn't been speaking about it is that he doesn't have any faith in the quote unquote system. Mm-hmm. is if he could see the writing on the wall that this was not something that was going to go his way. Maybe he didn't want to wage that. He didn't think it would blow up the way it did. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I. But it would have been helpful to this situation to have more clarity and specificity from him. This is not to victim blame. No, no. We also but don't I... know if he is a victim, which is part of the issue. <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> right. The ATP obviously had an interest in sweeping this under the rug and wrapping up the investigation as quickly as possible. They do not want this stuff going on. They want the message to be clear that it did not happen. I don't blame Donald for for not coming out publicly with this stuff because I don't think he would be supported by his organization, by his employer. We had intended to talk about the new Darko stuff, which is the, the epistle, the manifesto oh, that he wrote. Oh my lord. It I was d- like freaking Finnegan's Wake. It was total stream of consciousness i read it and i really don't know what it said we have our intern still parsing through it we (laughs) haven't been able to get through all of our notes Uh yet to be able to record about it this episode so maybe we'll talk about it next time but the initial reports are it's an almighty mess maybe some of you all could summarize it for me because it's just it is hard to get through it's very long and i'm not impugning his english skills because I don't think it's about that. And I don't want to be rude like that because he speaks English as a, a second or possibly, you know, third or fourth language. It's a, it's just like a lot of rambling. 
And I'm not sure what is being refuted, what is right. being admitted I don't, to. Did he admit that he took other people's videos? That That's what he admitted, right? But he's saying, I had a stroke. My mother died. He yes, may have, he was I, was trying to, I was trying to get on Ellen. I was trying to talk to big-time players who I admire. Yes. He, he almost had another stroke because of Ben Rothensnake, as he calls him. Mm-hmm. It was... Uh, I, and how dare they come for his family, speaking about things they don't know about. It went on and on and on and on. I'm not sure it did anything to rehab his image or... Mm refute Yo. anything that was written in that piece by Ben. I it was just I don't I, it was strange. He still has his check mark. And but he put a face picture up now as his avatar. I I just don't know what to believe now. I really don't. I hope he plays a tournament this year, really. If he is who he says he is. Well he also said that he the whole bit about him playing tournaments this year, even though he has never played anything, pretty much, mm. not even ITF events, right. was that he had gotten in touch with somebody who he thought was... Victor, uh, Victor Troitsky? Victor Troitsky on Instagram, and they had made plans for him to, like, use him as a wild card... A play doubles, To play right? doubles. Yeah. It, I mean, this stuff is... It's not to be if believed. You're, if you're buying it, I have something to sell you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Lots of stuff to sell. He did make mention of the fact that why am I a target when I'm just out here spreading basically goodwill and trying to be progressive and open and accepting? I said, well, that that is something that tennis Twitter has been saying a lot of. His profile picture is now just a black. Oh dear, where does face go? A black void. Oh, it's it's just the color black. Oh lord. He does have Mandela in his banner. He apparently will become a professional social justice warrior. All right, I'm with it. If you all have any inside information about Darko Gernkroff, please DM us immediately, and we'll follow up on it. You have anything else you want to cover? No. No? Thank you for listening. Please follow us on... Wow, that sounds so desperate. If you are so inclined, follow us on Twitter at TheBodyServe. And I am James. I'm at Elliot JMR on Twitter. Two L's, two T's. And I'm Jonathan at tennis underscore John. This, as always, has been The Body Serve. (laughs) (laughs) That was really bad. But anyway, till next time. (laughs)